this is Crichton, and you're listening to Nerd Corner. Marvelous. Down on the corner. I was in a V club and glee club and even the chess team. Only question I ever thought was hard. What do I like, Kirk, or do I like Picard? All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nerd Corner, the podcast that's been rebooted more time than DC Comics continuity. I'm, of course, JD, joined by my very special guest all the way from Arizona. You live in, yes? Yes, that's correct. Excellent. All the way from Arizona, who's joined us incredibly last minute. He's my friend and yours. All the way from Upper Pylon 2 and the Nerd Party Network, Mr. Matt Hansen. Matty, welcome aboard, my friend. I know. Uh, thank you for having me. I know it was last time you were looking for someone, but we were talking before the show. It's been at least two years since you and I, you and I have formally chatted. It really has because life gets in the way between my day job and my divorce process and being a dad. And you've just started law school and that's going to be time consuming. Yeah, it's very time-consuming, but you just happened to catch me on a night where I was up doing work, and I just finished my work, and I saw your tweet, and so we're good to go. Well, thank you thank you very much for stepping up at literally the 11th hour, because it's just after 11 o'clock your time, I believe. Yes. So thank you very much for joining us. Now, we're going to jump straight into a talking point. You mentioned before we started recording that Marvel officially owns you now. Yeah, they own my soul and my body and just all of me. Okay, so we're going to go back to, we're going to go jump back to two years ago when last we talked. How many times did you see Winter Soldier at the cinema? Seven. Seven times for Winter Soldier. So our talking point is going to be seeing multiple, seeing movies multiple times at the theatre and why we do it. So seven times for Civil War. That's already three on my world record of four times for Guardians, which I thought was excessive. So tell our listeners how many times you went to see Civil War, Matt. It's now, it has to be at least 10. And now that it's out on Blu-ray and DVD, have you bought it, or are you still just hoping that it's going to be at the uh, movies? It, it is not out on Blu-ray in the US yet. It's coming out on Blu-ray on Tuesday. Oh, it's wow. It's coming Tuesday the 13th. So we got it about a week or so before you did. Yes, but the digital HD thing is out, and actually tomorrow on the Nerd Party Network, I'm going to be recording a commentary to Civil War with a couple of my other co-hosts. Oh, beautiful. So yeah, we'll chuck in in the show notes. We'll throw in some links to where you're to where you're located for all that stuff. So right. a lot of people will think that it's weird to see a movie more than once at the movies, but you're you're not opposed to it. So just for a couple of minutes, I just want to see if we can delve into. I know why I do it. I do it because I want to see movies a couple of times. My record, as I say, is Guardians with four, which I thought was a lot. So what is it about these? Is it just the Marvel movies that keeps you going back, or do you have a tendency yeah. to revisit everything? If it's something that I'm really loving, I'll go back multiple times. I, I, I haven't seen it ten times, but I've seen uh, Star Trek Beyond multiple times this summer, too. That was that was really good, and we'll get on to talking about Star Trek in a little bit, because actually I want to, I haven't had a chance to talk on a podcast with anybody about that film, so we'll do a bit of that when we get to our 50th anniversary of Star Trek stuff. So I saw that movie once at the, at the theatre, but I haven't been inspired to go back, which is weird, because it was really good, but... Yeah, I don't know what it is about, especially my selection of wanting to see things twice. I've seen, I went to see Ghostbusters, the reboot, twice at the movies. I took the kids, the week it came out, and then I went to see it again while I was away in Melbourne, just because it was on. See, and I'm kind of in the same boat where you are with Star Trek Beyond, where I saw that once, but wouldn't have been opposed to seeing it again. But then so many things happened, because Beyond, at least here in America, came out the week after Ghostbusters, so it was all about Beyond. Oh, right, 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 because I think they both came out the same week here, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be wrong. If if not the same week and where you are, they were very, very close. Yeah. So, look, I... 
It's but why do, I, why, why do I do it? Yeah, um, let's get on to it. Why so many times for a film? I mean, it's amazing. Well, and how do you justify... Not so much, this is not a grilling, how do you justify doing that? But it's a, it's a monetary thing. I think, why would I spend X amount of dollars every week to see these movies repeatedly and repeatedly? Which, I mean, it's good for the box office. But. I mean, I've kind of I've kind of talked about this on when I've done my shows on the Nerd Party, but part of it is because I mean, for the last three years, I've been I had been working a job and I had been single and living at home, so I had a lot of um, uh, spending money. Yep, and, and time. Uh, not, and time. So, and I really love the movies anyway. Going to the theaters is still an experience for me. Mm-hmm. So um, that was part of it, and I, I think. I'm just one of those people that when I love something, I don't just love it a little. I love it a lot. You're all or nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, not, I wouldn't say that, yeah. but when I love something, it's 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 intense. Yeah. Much like um, if anybody listens – sorry to cut you off there, mate. If any of our listeners have ever heard you on any of our previous shows when I used to do The Wilderness or anything else, your knowledge of Star Trek is beyond ridiculous. You have literally forgotten more about Star Trek than most hardcore Trekkies can ever know. I know it's 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 terrible that I you know I have to work hard and study for my law school stuff, but all this useless Star Trek knowledge it just sinks right in. Yeah, so you could probably rattle off all two hundred and eighty six rules of acquisition right now without even trying. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> but um, I, I think part of it too is kind of you know, like it or not, the box office kind of does matter for these films at these at at this point, yeah. and I think the only way that. You know, I feel that I can express my love of something and my gratitude is to go see it multiple times and give my hard-earned cash mm-hmm. to the to the filmmakers. So I do it out of a sense of loyalty as well. Okay, cool. Well, that, that's a really interesting way to look at it because I, I don't really think about that side of it because I go, oh, yeah, I enjoyed that movie. I'll go and see it a I, second time. I mean, I mean, as, as moviegoers, we vote with our wallets, don't we? That's, so. That is true. I, mean, but I suppose I've got a slightly different perspective because I generally don't go and just see a movie. It's basically your only your Marvel movies and your reboots of things that I get to. I won't go and see like what's out at the moment. The Shallows. It's apparently a really good horror film that's out at the moment. That wouldn't even hit my radar to go and see, which is really weird. The viewing habits of of your thirty something Australian male is a bit strange. Right. So I, I, I'm- yeah, I, I just find it interesting. I mean, like I said, when I was working and and this was the thing I did, I would go see the sh- I did go see the Shallows. Is it good? Uh, just because, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, but you know, it was just my thing. I it was my way of relaxing. Mm-hmm. I would see what the new movie was that week, and if it was, you know, if it wasn't something that I already wanted to see, then I would look to see if the the ratings were any good, and yeah. then I would decide whether or not I wanted to pay full price or not. But uh, more often than not, I did. And when it came to Civil War, that you know, a, a, I, I, I mean, if you listen back to when I talked to you last, I absolutely adored Winter Soldier. Um, and this was probably my most anticipated movie ever. Um, That's a maybe, big call. I mean, I, I, it's certainly like I, I was more hyped for this movie. I was more hyped for this movie than I was for Age of Ultron last year, and I was pretty freaking hype for Age of Ultron. And um, that was a disappointment. I'm not going to lie. I, I hesitate to use that word because I, I really did end up liking Age of Ultron, but I, I recognize that it has flaws. Yeah. But regardless, what I'm saying is I was very hyped for that last year and even more so hyped for Civil War this year. And, you know, it was two years worth of, of, of building anticipation. Mm-hmm. So I was ready to, to love the movie. The trailers looked good. And then the reviews came out and they were fantastic. And, um, I, I mean, it was the first movie, too, the first and only movie, by the way, probably because I don't have the time or money anymore, but it was the first movie that I, I spent money to go to the 
to the all day marathon that they were doing. So they were showing all movies that that had Captain America in them. So I saw in one in one day in one sitting uh, that Thursday before it came out here in America, First Avenger, the First Avengers, uh, Winter Soldier, Age of Ultron, and then we ended with Civil War. That was the first time I saw it. So I sat in a theater all day for it too. Oh wow, that's that's impressive. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I'm not trying to paint it as a negative at all. Don't don't think that I am. No, just, I, I, mean, I know you're not. You, you, some people go to the pub four or five times a week and will spend that same amount of money, if not more, on getting drunk. Us nerds, our thing is let's go and see the movies or whatever. And I think it's yeah, it's imp- it always impresses me when you whenever you start doing your check ins, like specifically you, because yeah. we've been friends on Facebook for so long. I see it like round two, three, five, seven, and I'm like, that is great. I love it. I just I wish I had the probably because I've got the bad back as well. I can't justify sitting there for that long, and I, I seize up. But no, if yeah, if I wasn't falling apart, I'd probably do it too. Yeah, you may not see that many more rounds anymore, just because I don't have the the, the, the expendable income. Yeah. So you may see you may see one or two from now on. So oh, okay. I think that I think this Civil War record will stand for a good long while. Yeah. So do you actually, do you have an actual count of what it is, or you say it's about ten because you lost track? It's about ten because I knew I, I, my previous record for anything was eight, and that was for Star Trek two thousand nine. That was a good film. Um. Yeah, so the, the, my previous record was eight, and I, I know I for sure checked in when I broke it. Yeah. And I, th- and I think I saw it twice more since then, so I want to say it's ten. All right, cool. So, yes. so for argument's sake, you've hit your double digits, and that's probably going to stand for at least a little while. Now, if I was still working, and, uh, and Infinity War is as good as Civil War or Winter Soldier, it probably would have gone up, but as it is. Yeah, now that you've gone back to school and you don't necessarily have that that disposable income, yeah. Right there, that's right. But look, I think... But, uh, but uh, long story short, Marvel owns me, and even yes. more specifically, uh, the Russo brothers own me. <laughs> well, I think their stuff, other than... Because Guardians is my favourite of those Marvel films, that's no secret. I think the Russos taking over from Joss Whedon for the Avengers film is only going to be a good thing for us as fans and Marvel and their, and their bottom line. It's, it's going to be an amazing thing because, I mean... When the Russos have gotten their hands on the characters, and I saw this with Winter Soldier, and I saw it even more with Civil War when they got their hands on a bunch more characters, mm-hmm. they've only improved them. So it makes me really, really excited to see what they can do when they get their hands on on Thor and, and Hulk and other characters like that. Well, this is true, and they can also theoretically because I've seen one of the—I don't know if it's an official teaser poster or a fan poster that was put out. It had a cast list, and it was every Avenger, every Guardian, all of the Agents of Shield. The cast of Daredevil, all of the Defenders. I, I doubt it's going to be that extensive. It's probably but, you know, not. I think uh, the Guardians will feature in it. I'm very confident. The, the Guardians will be in it. The TV and Netflix people, I, I, I doubt. But, but they, uh, they seem to be doing this thing where they're separating more and more the TV universe from the movie universe. I think that, and you know, to a certain extent, I think they kind of have to because Marvel has pulled off the impossible, but they only can stretch so much before. I mean. <laughs> They keep stretching and stretching and stretching, and I think that by introducing the TV shows, which already have their own continuity, yep. now you have to expect people who are seeing the movie to know the continuity of the TV show. That's There's right. just too much to pile on at once. So I've personally given up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I, I uh, bow out. You know what? It, it's, I, I haven't given up on it, but I do think of all the TV efforts, it's been the least impressive. 
Um, I, I think it's gotten better. I, I certainly think it, it post Winter Soldier, it did get better. Yeah. But um, I'm 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 more disappointed that there's no more Agent Carter because I thought that was a stronger show overall. That was a stronger show, but the problem with that, like all prequel shows, is that. A, she's never in any real danger because you know she's going to live through it because she's you see her as an old lady in yeah. Age of Ultron. Was it Age of Ultron? Yeah. And no, no uh, Winter Soldier. It was Winter Soldier. Yep, sorry, it was too. And um, Howard Stark was the same way. You knew those two characters were never going to be in any actual danger. Which yeah, was, but it was it was so good. Oh, I, was I, I, I was I was willing to overlook that because yeah. I really liked the way um, Haley Atwell played the character oh, and I liked the way that the character was written. So. Yeah, so long and the short of it is Marvel owns you and pretty well all of us at this stage. Yeah, yeah and, pretty much. And good luck to Warners and DC trying to catch up. <laughs> you can say that again. Yes. So, yes, the less said about Batman 5 Superman, the better. Although you loved it. Oh, I didn't love it. I I had fun watching it. I didn't love it. I All its flaws, absolutely. All the criticisms everyone's leveling at it, yeah, absolutely. I was expecting it to be worse, and I had fun watching it just to watch all of that unravel. That led that me by disclaimer. I don't love that movie. I enjoyed watching it. There's a very big difference. Okay, I just remember, I, I, I do recall vaguely some positivity from you on Facebook when that came out. Um, see, the thing with me is, is that, you know, the reason, too, that Marvel has won me over is because as someone who doesn't read comics, I feel like Marvel has done a good job of, of getting someone like me uh, not only understanding what the characters are about, but they, because they've taken the time to build this universe, they've also built up character investment for me. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you if you told me 10 years ago that I would care about as much about superhero movies that I do or that Captain America would be my favorite superhero, I would have told you you were nuts. <laughs> but they've done it, and credit to them. I mean, we did... Me and Vic a few months ago, or whenever we were doing the last round of episodes, we did three hours on this, spread it across a couple of episodes. So anybody that wants to hear all of my thoughts on that can do so. So look, we should probably move on to the crux yeah. of what we're going to do. Very recently, as in the last few days from when we were recording, but probably a couple of weeks ago by the time this goes out, our, how would you even describe how important this particular franchise is to both of us? Well, I mean... It was it, it was in some small part the inspiration of why both of us started podcasting. That is true. Um, Star Trek turned fifty for those of us for those listening who hadn't quite caught up with what I was hinting at, and yeah, we owe that show a great debt of gratitude. So for the moment, we're just going to gush about that for half an hour or so and celebrate its fiftieth anniversary. Uh, we, it, and it deserves to be because I mean. It really has changed my life. I wouldn't be sitting here doing a podcast if it wasn't for Star Trek. I wouldn't. I don't even know if I would be as big of a nerd if it wasn't for Star Trek because Star Trek was the first nerdy thing I ever saw consciously as a kid. Yeah, Not even before Star Wars. See, I was the other way around. I started with Star Wars as the gateway. In now, I meant that I saw when the Best of Both Worlds came out. My mother must have rented it on video or. Whatever it was, video kids is what we had before DVDs and Blu-ray. Um, and I, I know, and you had to stick it in a VCR and rewind it. Oh, you couldn't really... skip to the you, you couldn't skip to the chapter that you wanted oh, to see. It was a nightmare, but it was all we had, and it was very good to us for a lot of years. Um, no, I started with the best of both worlds in '92, I want to say, and then in '93, I was I fell in love with Star Wars and was all about that for about twelve months, and then in '94, one night on TV, on Friday night. I was still in primary school at the time. Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country, was on. 
I watched about half of it before falling asleep because I was young and staying up late was difficult. And then I found Which, it. Uh, yeah, then I let found me just, it. Let me just interject yeah. here and say for my money, as much as people love Wrath of Khan, actually six is my favorite movie. It's probably a better overall film structurally. I, I just, I, I'm all about like Winter Soldier. I, I'm all about political intrigue and conspiracy thrillers. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, you jump back a second. But the reason Winter Soldier works is because it's not a superhero movie by any stretch of the imagination and neither Civil War. Right. Winter Soldier is a perfect example. It's a spy slash espionage film that happens to have comic characters in it. Right. But, that, you know, that, that kind of story, the spy espionage or, you know, there's a big political conspiracy happening. That's why I like Six the best because I just gravitate to those sort of stories. Well, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about Six, but I've never understood it. Even as a, at the time, no, an 11-year-old child, it caught my attention. I was like, okay, who's responsible? What's going on? And as I was saying, I fell asleep halfway through it on the couch this night. And then a few days later, I found an ex-rental VHS copy available in a shop. And I'm like, Mom, buy that for me because I fell asleep watching it and I really enjoyed it. And that's one of only four, two Star Trek VHS that I still own because I had all of it. I went out and I bought every single, over the span of 10 years, all of Star Trek on video. And I've still got that, which I kept for nostalgic purposes, and The Way of the Warrior. Right. Of course. Because, you know, for me, that's the best of Trek. (laughs) It is, but uh, see, for me, I, I know I was one of those, you know, weird anomaly people, but I mean, I, I saw, the first nerd thing I ever saw was uh, Generations, it was in the theater, I saw it when I was, it was five or six, and I didn't see Star Wars New Hope until 1997 when the special editions were re-released in theaters, that's when I saw Star Wars. Well, that, first. that would make sense. So what, when you were five or six, when you saw Generations... Who who took you to see that? Who thought that'd be a plan for a child? Uh, it was a fa- it was a family outing. My okay. dad was a fan, and so my mom, myself, me, and my, and my brother, who was you know an infant at the time, but right. uh, uh, it was a family outing. Because yeah, as a parent with kids of about that age, I probably wouldn't. Well, then again, I took them to see Force Awakens, so yeah, I guess I can see how that would happen. It's I mean when you when you think of the grand scheme of things, there's nothing in generations that's particularly objectionable. No, no, there's really not. But that's the, that's the good thing about most of the Star Treks. You can show it to a family. Right. Which is can't be said for a lot of other fandoms that are out there. Like, I wouldn't take my kids to see any of the DC movies at the moment. No, you can't. You really can't. No, because I was going to go and see Suicide Squad with a friend, and I'm like, oh, but I'm going to have the kids. She's like, can you take them? I'm like, no. I, well, at the very least, with the DC films, you're going to have to pre-screen them as a, as a parent. That's right. Like When I took the kids to see Ghostbusters, the reboot, I hadn't seen that. I'm like, but I'm, I was confident enough that it was going to be safe for the kids. But I, I, would, yeah. I would happily take my kids to see any of the rebooted Star Trek films, other than they're probably a little bit too long to expect a five-year-old and a seven-year-old to sit there. Yeah, I, I, you know, of the of the three of them, you know, no pun intended, Into Darkness probably gets the most questionable when you get bones breaking and stepping on things. And uh, but uh, it's nothing's really bad. Now I would say that. Uh, if I was a parent back in the 80s, I may not have taken my kids to uh, Wrath of Khan because of the ear slugs. That, that might freak them out a little bit. Yeah, but that, I mean, even then, that's probably the worst that, that you're going to find in any sort of track. I don't. What else is there that I can't really think of anything that would be any more disturbing to a child than that from like, Star Trek? Like, like, like graphic-wise? Yeah, uh, just graphically. There's, Star Trek never graphic, really got that graphic. Well, I, I, I could... 
could see maybe little little kids finding like the Borg in First Contact scary, maybe because they're kind of like zombies. Oh, this is true. But I suppose kids are pretty desensitized to things like that these days. I know. I, I'm just I'm, I'm looking at it from like the ultra conservative point of that view. That is like, true. Um, you know, they might be unnerved by that. No. Uh, I, I maybe wouldn't take them, or I maybe would cover their eyes at the mind rape scene in Nemesis. <laughs> oh, the mo- oh, Nemesis. It's been a while, and I've only watched it a couple of times. And that's pretty dark. Oh, when when Ron Perlman's character uses his powers to get inside Deanna's well, head, and it's and it's Tom Hardy and him like pretty much raping her. In bed. Oh, it is too. And it's the same. That's you can almost say the same thing about that scene in Star Trek Six when Spock's very much violating Valeris with that mind meld. It's true, but unless you know the context of what the mind meld means, it's not as disturbing as someone who is on top of somebody else yeah. forcing themselves upon. Yeah, them. no, that's true. I've got. To, I almost want to revisit that film just to because I don't remember much of that at all. Yes. So, into darkness, not into darkness. What's the new one? Star Trek Beyond. Beyond. Your Beyond. thoughts, and then we'll get to my thoughts, and then we'll pitch a we'll pitch a new series together. It, you know what? I was super impressed with Star Trek Beyond. Yep. And I, I kind of figured I would be because I, I was not one of these people that was condemning it from that first trailer. I, you know, trailers can be cut to, to show whatever you oh, want. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if you want to, if you want a good judge of what, how not to judge a film by its trailer, look at Suicide Squad. But, you know, so I wasn't condemning it beyond from the first trailer and Justin Lin, while he may not be your first choice as director, I mean, I had watched those Fast and Furious movies, and I figured the reason that he was hired, and I turned out to be right, so I pat myself on the back, <laughs> is that those Fast and Furious movies may not be the most deep, but he knows how to work an ensemble cast. And I thought that's the reason he must be yeah. been hired is because he knows how to work with a large group of people. Um, and I was right. Uh, and then that second trailer came out, and I thought it was great. He was saying all the right things. The cast was saying all the right things. So I had faith. And then when I finally saw the film... I realized that Star Trek 09 might be a more action-packed romp and like it just has the glitz and glamour of everything, but mm-hmm. I really, I'm struggling. I'm struggling because I want to see them back-to-back, but Beyond may have be a contender for my favorite of the reboot series just because I feel like for a 50th anniversary film, it may not achieve the heights that something like a 50th anniversary film like Skyfall did, Yeah, but... Uh, as far as as far as Beyond is concerned, I felt like this is this was the film where the cast, which I already thought was amazing from the first two films, where I really felt the cast captured the best essence of their original series counterparts. I liked seeing, you know, I liked him in the first two movies, but I liked seeing Chris Pine play a more mature uh, Kirk. Yeah. I liked seeing Kirk after three years of of doing whatever, and he was no longer this hot shot. He was kind of this. He had gained a little bit of wisdom, and so it, the way Pine played it in com- in comparison to his first two two outings, I thought was really interesting. I loved the nods where they could to the to the original series. I thought they handled Leonard Nimoy's passing incredibly well, very very poignant, very bittersweet, and I, I loved um, so a lot of the new characters. I, I really hope that if they make a fourth one, that they they get Sophia Butella back because I really liked Jayla, I, and you know. Sadly, tragically, the navigation position's open. Oh, that's an absolute tragedy, isn't it? The that's that I was, you know, that was terrible, and and it was so shocking, and it I, I it felt I really enjoyed watching Anton Yelchin and Beyond. 
Because we are, of course, for those who haven't... Sorry, mate. For those, of course, who haven't caught up with what we're saying, and the obviously tragic passing of Anton Yelchin earlier this year. Yeah, under terrible circumstances, too. Oh, and what is... It's, I don't want to say... I don't want to sort of minimise any death, but it was such a senseless, just meaningless tragedy. It was I, something I mean, as simple as a handbrake. I don't mean to make light of it, but it was like a final destination kind of death. It, it was really like was. one of those freak accidents. It really wasn't. Yeah, I think what they're going to do if they move forward, because I'm, I'm confident they'll probably do another one, because they're relatively profitable, aren't they? It's still making money, I assume. It's still making money. This one's making a little bit less money than the other ones, but it's playing well in China, and so hopefully it turns a profit. But like I was saying, I think, you know, Jayla was a good enough character where, you know, they end the film and she goes to off to, she's, it's implied she's going to go off to Starfleet. Yeah. And so, you know, we could pick up however many years later and she's now the navigator. Or something. Or she's sort of, she comes in almost in like a proto-Savic sort of a role. Yeah, kind of. And we already, and you know, we saw this version of Chekhov have a pretty close engineering relationship with Scotty and that he knew how to do things. And they've already developed the relationship between her and Scotty and she knows how to do things. So she would kind of fit right in. But I mean, watching Anton Yelchin in this film. It was fun, but it was so bittersweet because yeah. I dare say he was the most full of life in this film. They gave him the most to do. He really did. Compared to and what you're saying about an ensemble piece is absolutely spot on. Because unlike the first two films, which was very much just a Kirk film, this and, felt and like... Spock, and Spock. Spock. Kirk and Spock, yeah. Basically, like your, your original series was, this felt much more like a Star Trek film. If that makes any sense, in that it wasn't actually he's a crew that are all working together, as opposed to he's one guy and some background characters that have to be there because they were in the show. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Because um, as good as those first two movies are, they don't feel like Star Trek films. They play like Star Wars movies. I, I, I agree to a point. And I think what, what I'm grateful to Beyond for doing is that it put the other two movies in perspective for me. Uh, which is something that I, I was not able to do, especially two years ago when Into Darkness came out, because I, Into Darkness came out and I really enjoyed it and the backlash made me more defensive about it. Yeah. But I will say that it, I still enjoy that movie, but watching Beyond and comparing it with that film, I now recognize more of the flaws. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel that as much as I, I didn't, you know, there's, there, I, I still contend there are things to like about Into Darkness. But I think that it maybe this reboot series may have been better served if Beyond was the sequel to, to 2009. Because you could, you could very much, you could watch the first one, like you, you could watch Star Trek 09, and you could skip Into Darkness entirely and just watch Beyond, and you could just watch them as a double feature, and you would lose nothing. Right. I mean, the only thing that, they keep from, from Star Trek Into Darkness is, um, you know, some of the refit work that they did on the Enterprise and uh, the fact that they're on a five-year mission. O9 ends with an indefinite period of length yeah. and Into Darkness ends with the five-year fixed timeline. Yeah, but you know... Uh, but you that's know, about it. Easy way around that, you open beyond if you were going to do a reboot to it or you just with a simple captain's log done. Yeah, yeah. But no, I assume but, you don't... I don't think you will lose much. No, you don't lose much and... and I think people might have been happier if Beyond was the second movie. Uh, that being said, the way it turned out, I was very, very grateful because, like you said, I think everybody got more to do this time around. In fact, I, not that he was pushed aside by any means, but I almost felt like, you know, they, they kind of gave Chris Pine a, a more of a backseat. Not so much because he's still the captain, yeah. but the, the two first two movies were so focused on him. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, it, it, it felt odd yet refreshing that he wasn't the main focus of this one, that it was everybody. Well, you could um, almost pull some subtext out of that in that the, for when he was so, so much younger coming out of the academy, first taking command, he's like, yeah, everything's all about me. This is my life. This is all about what I want to do and the way I'm going to do things. And then it gets to this point in his life and as is reflected in the tone and, and the development of the movies, it's less, as you say, just about Kirk and more about the rest of them with him moving back that little bit. So it kind of almost works if you look at it from that angle. I agree. And what I liked what they did with, with Kirk specifically, and I, what I thought made this, made this different and unique was that you never saw William Shatner's Kirk become disenfranchised with what he was doing until he was much, much older. And, you know, there he wasn't, there he wasn't becoming disillusioned because he didn't believe in the mission anymore. He was becoming disillusioned because he felt old and out of place. Yeah. Uh, it, It was nice to see Kirk question why he was doing what he was doing. And I liked how they played that into the fact that, you know, Chris Pine's version of Kirk didn't join Starfleet on his own merits. He joined because someone dared him to do it. He didn't join because he believed necessarily in the mission. No. So it's it's nice to, to for him to to be confronting that that fact about himself. And I thought that made Kirk more of an interesting character, quite yeah. frankly. Because well in the first couple, while they were fun, there wasn't really a lot of depth. Right. They were very surface level. Yeah. Which again Nothing wrong with that. They no, were both fine and passable films. But as I said, this one, there was a lot, it felt like there was a lot more happening and a lot more to read into it. I mean, even the stuff with Sulu, which is probably an elephant in the room we should we should get to. How did uh, you feel uh, about them making him arbitrarily gay? Uh, well, as someone who is gay, it meant a whole hell of a lot to me to finally have recognition yeah. in Star Trek. And, uh, you know, there's the, the controversy because... George Takei voiced his disapproval and said he wished he w- it was a new character. But uh, my, my, my problem with that is it, you should introduce a new character if it's a series. Yeah. Because if it's a series, then you have time to not only get to know who that character is, but you can also peel back the layers and mm-hmm. you can talk about his relationships and stuff like that. If you're going to do it in a movie and you introduce a new character – and you have their sexuality come up, and it has to be because it's a plot point or because it's a token character. Uh, and you know, you can't make it a plot point. I, I don't think. And tokenism's no good. No. I so mean, the best thing to do if it's a movie is to make it a recognizable character. That way, the back the backstory is already done for you, so yeah. you can comment on the sexuality. But so I thought when they, when all the hoopla came up about, oh my god, Sulu's going to be gay that there was going to be a lot more to it. And you literally just see him meet his partner and their child and embrace. That's, and that's literally the right way to do it. To it. That, that's the right way to do it. And, you know, what I liked more about that scene, and it was something that was pointed out to me when we reviewed the movie on, on Upper Pylon 2, is that not only was it very, very cursory, but you had Kirk's reaction shot to it. And Kirk didn't like look surprised or anything. He just looked like, yeah, that's, I know who this person is. And it's very nice to see him reunited with his family. So it was not only was it not made a big deal, but the characters in universe didn't make it a big deal. either. Yeah. It's just, it's just the way it was. And I think a lot of the controversy may have been overblown because of George Takei's reaction to it. Yeah. And, uh, well, I've, I've said a lot of things about him in the past, yep. in the past month. And suffice it to say, uh, he's no longer one of my favorite people. But um, Oh, wow. You want to give yeah. us a couple of quick thoughts on that for those who may not have heard it? I mean, I, 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 to, to me, it's very disingenuous to champion 
you know, progress in the gay community and, and, and to try to be, encourage more people to think progressively and to further gay rights. And then to create this stink about this character, I realized that he, he may feel some sort of, um, personal ownership of the role as much as he denies that he doesn't. I think he does. Um, and, um, I think quite frankly, when he, with, with the stuff that he said, didn't make any kind of sense. It, it wasn't even factually correct because he was saying that Gene Roddenberry, it's not within Gene Roddenberry's vision to do something like this. And, you know, to me that just shows if, if, if that's truly what he believes, then I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of Star Trek as a whole. And, that, and it's for someone who is, who was there from the inception and to someone who, to so completely miss the point of what Star Trek should be about is incredibly disappointing and disheartening. And I, I was not happy. Do you think, to put it mildly. Well, yes. Do you think maybe he had that reaction because it was his character specifically, because he is so very out and proud, openly gay. And the fact that like, well, if we're going to make of any of the seven or eight characters that we've got, the one that we're going to make arbitrarily gay is the one portrayed by the, by the out and proud gay ambassador. But you would think that you would think that would be a plus because you know you're using that character to represent something good in the world, progress, recognition, something beyond mere tolerance. Uh, I, using that character to to to, to um, spread this message of inclusivity is something that if I was George Takei, I would be proud of because you know it's it, it, it would have made the struggle that he must have gone through in the 60s where he had to hide some of that sort of where he had to hide that sort of thing about himself yeah uh, it, to me it would make it feel worth it that we had come this far and my character can be used for this kind of good yeah that's how that's how I would have seen it but George opted not to take it that way and I, I, I like I said I just don't understand it and, and, and to me, you know, and maybe this is my own emotion reading into it, but reading between the lines, I think he was just kind of possessive and, and kind of, I, I think he might be jealous that John Cho gets to play this openly gay character when he couldn't, when he couldn't do that in the sixties. And I mean, then there's, there's some validity to that. If that is how he feels, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having that feeling, but reacting to it the way he did might've been a tad excessive. Yeah. That's what, that's what I, that's what I, I disagree with the feeling, and I disagree even more with how he handled it publicly. Yeah. It might also be an age thing as well, because he is of that much older generation, where he gets possessive about things, and maybe the don't ask, don't tell thing was playing in on him, and I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. I think, I also kind of think that, you know, given his quote-unquote reaction video to the first Beyond trailer, I think he kind of had a vendetta against the project. Oh. I've, I haven't seen that video, but I heard about it and I actively avoided it. I, I think he. I think he's never. I think he was never going to like this film, regardless. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. He was just one of those people that is just like, you know what? I have. If that's the way you feel, then I have no time for you. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, so back onto some positives about this film. Um, the updated away team uniform. This is as love a random that. point. I thought that was love, great. I love it. I saw some of them. Uh, at, at Vegas this year, and it's just yes. a cool uniform. We'll get we'll get back to Vegas in a minute because I was I was going to go, and then the ass fell out of my world, and I couldn't get there. So right. I was I was sitting here on the three weeks holidays I had from work that were booked to go on that trip, watching everybody's tweets and Instagram posts, and, and it was 
but but some people I was happy to say that there was already you know less than a month after the film came out there was already beyond representation because people were wearing the new away team uniforms and I saw uniform. and I saw I saw a couple of Jailers. oh so that was very cool. nice because I went to Oz Comic Con in Sydney this past weekend for when we're recording but whenever it was from when the show goes up and I saw one guy in that uniform mm-hmm. and I'm like yes validation because I think there's something about this reboot series that people that they, 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 they want to they want to pretend it's not part of the canon I but think I, so I, it's I, I like but I like it when you see them at cons like yes. people actually people t- it's I, I, I like it because I think it, it shows fan there are fans out there who do take the reboot film seriously like I do yeah because there's, there's people and myself to an extent are like okay I grew up on 700 and something odd episodes, 702 I think it is, of that prime continuity. And this because this thing's not mainline continuity, I think that's why people just get sort of down on it. And because it's not because it is so different to what we've been given in the past, not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, I think that's why a lot of people won't take it seriously because it, and it's mainstream audiences, not made for Trek fans. Well, yeah, well, heaven forbid it's mainstream. Well, that's right. We've all, <laughs> we've all wanted mainstream acceptance of our fandoms, and I'm, I'll make a point about comics in a minute too. As that's we kind finally of the thing get is it. that I, I kind of feel that the, the reason that I, I I reacted so negatively to, to to the detractors is like I kind of feel like Trekkies, and this may apply to other fandoms too, but certainly when the reboot films came out, all of a sudden we became all clickish and hipsterish like we like Star Trek before it was cool yeah. and so that makes us better yeah and, and it's like we I, understood I, the never, reference I've never liked that I've yeah. never liked that way of thinking to me it's it's too high, it's so high school yeah which I mean I'll admit when 09 came out and everybody suddenly jumped on the Star Trek bandwagon I didn't think I was better because of it that hipster sort of thing there was a level of resentment and it still kept, sort of carries on now, I guess. When back in high school, I was picked on and vilified for being the Star Trek nerd, and suddenly now everyone loves it. It's like, well, why was why was I the one getting picked on? And this has See, been great the whole I, time. I just had the best experience because I saw O Nine with some friends, some of whom were Star Trek fans, and some of whom weren't. And the people who weren't, I mean, when they when they saw that film and, and liked it so much, I, I was there with open arms waiting, and they were like, okay. Can I borrow your DVDs? I want to watch the old series yeah, now. Yeah, which, again, I'm all for. But it's just that, that level of, well, why was I copying so much grief for this when it's been great the whole time? It's, but you I know, know. what? It, 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 much like the thing I was saying with George Takei, this yeah. makes those years of getting so much grief for liking it worth it. Absolutely it does. I can definitely say that. And it's the same with the, with the comic movies now. And everyone loving all the Marvel movies, and to a lesser extent the X-Men movies, even though they're not quite as good, they use... People gen- tend to like them and enjoy them. It's yeah, no, you're right. It's an absolutely amazing way to look at it. And, and, you did and the now hard the way work. I look at it is like I have so much more people to talk about Star Trek with, whereas, yes. whereas before I had nobody yeah. or very few people. Absolutely, hundred percent agree with that. And it's, there's certainly, I, I definitely think that as much as people don't want to credit the new films, I certainly don't think there would be as much excitement for, for Discovery if it wasn't for the research interest from the new films. Well, that's right. Well, I think this Star Trek Discovery, which we'll get to again in a minute, is only exists because of the interest in these films. Yeah, I agree, because the interest of the film sparked the, the, the resurgence of Star Trek. It, it absolutely did, because uh, the, the series weren't available for streaming on Netflix before 09 was a big hit. And then 09 was a big hit, and then they all became available for streaming. 
Oh, wow. Because, fun fact, we've only had them on net, on Australian Netflix for about six weeks. Right. I know they were, they, I know they were slower to put them up in, yeah. in, the, in the other territories. But here in America, uh, they weren't available for streaming at all. And then I think it was 2010 or 2011. So, you know, one or two years after yep. 09 becomes a hit, all of a sudden they become available on yep. Netflix. And people are watching it. Yeah. Which is, which is even better. So, they're always on, you know, I, I log on to my Netflix. They're always on the, the trending and most yeah. popular. And, yeah. Yeah. Which is good. I've actually, because I mean, I've got them all on DVD, have had for years, but because they're now on Netflix, I've been working my way through DS9 again. The fact that they're on Netflix now is just making the people who want to binge watch so much more happier. And and I think it's really gotten to a point where a new series, and this must be why Discovery is happening now, is because it's gotten to a point where a new series has become viable again. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I'm, I, I, for one, I'm so excited. I couldn't be more excited. So what are your what are your actual thoughts on the things that have been announced so far? And then we'll get into how we would pitch a new series, which is what we do. So now. the things that have been announced so far is it's 10 years pre-TOS. It's prime timeline. Yep. Uh, that's the things I remember so far. It's going to be a, come some, some new aliens and maybe a couple of uh, original villains put in there. Yep. And, and a female uh, lead that's not the captain. That's really interesting. First of all, I champion the female lead again because yep. you know it's been it's been twenty years since Voyager. Yeah. Um, well, so it's been it's about fifteen time. years since any Trek series, so that's a moot point. Well, yes, but I mean, last time we had a female lead, yep. it was you know that, that show started twenty years ago. Yep. Um, so it's a, it, it, it's the time's right for it. We're mm-hmm. we're in a we're in a culture that likes strong females. Now. Yeah. And I think we're a bit ahead. Of, a bit ahead. Ugh, words, JD. We were a bit ahead of the curve in that respect. Yes, we were. Which DS9 now, did too. Sorry, I'm jumping all over your point again. DS9 was, I think, one of the very first shows to have an ongoing narrative. I agree. And now I agree. every that, show does that, it. That too. I mean, it was DS9, and to a lesser extent, because it wasn't as popular, uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah. I think were the two that, that yeah. kind of started that. Um, but. So I like the idea of a female lead. I really find it interesting that the lead's not the captain. That's a that's a perspective that we've never seen. Before. Yeah, and it's an interesting way to do it. And you know what? I, the, the the creative choices that are, are 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 coming into existence, I am not questioning because I was on board with this series from the minute that Brian Fuller was announced as the showrunner, yep. and the subsequent announcement that Nick Myers on the writing staff. That was the point I was going to make. As soon as, because I was a bit worried, like prequel series, I'm like, yeah, we've seen that, they tried that, it didn't work. Nick Myers involved, shut up and take my money. Well, both, I, I want to credit both, because I'm a huge, Brian Fuller, ever since, well, first of all, he's done some of my favorite episodes of DS9, and I would argue he's done some of the better ones of Voyager. Um, Which one of Voyager did he do? Uh, I know he was the one behind Bride of Chaotica. That was fun. That was so much fun. Brian Fuller, for uh, our non-Trekkie listeners, is a producer and a writer that's worked on Trek for years. Yes, and but he wrote two. Of, he, wrote, he wrote. I think he wrote three episodes of DS9, but two of them are, are, are like my all-time favorites. One of them, and they're both scary because he he's, he does horror really well. Yeah. Uh, he wrote The Darkness and the Light, which Ooh. is the one where Kira's old uh, cellmates are being hunted down by the burned Cardassians. That's a very good episode. And he did Empok Nor. That's one, of, that's one of my favorite episodes. The, the, so he wrote both of those. And in the subsequent years, I'm a big fan of what he's done as a showrunner because he's done comedies very well. And I was a huge, massive, massive fan of what he did with Hannibal. Um, oh, I forgot and, he was the Hannibal guy. Well, look, because he's involved, I think we're going to get, and it's going to sound cliche, I think we're going to get like a darker Trek series. 
to uh, a point? To a certain extent, but he, he's if you read if you you've re- obviously read the, the behind the scenes stuff, he, yeah. he's pushing the message of optimism. Yeah, he's really he's really all about that. So there may be some darkness to it, but I think he I think in the time you know because he cited the times that we live in right now are very very contentious. And yeah. Star Trek is in its original. He's gone on about how Star Trek in its original concept was supposed to be this message of optimism in these dark times. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to go back to some of that. Which, if we're going to do that, it's it now would be the right time because I think the reason that we we were able to get away with the darkness of something like DS Nine was because it was the '90s and things were good in the '90s, yeah. relatively speaking. Yeah. We were we weren't faced with very much strife. No. In the '90s, like we are today. Correct. So um, now is the time for. Dare I say lighter Trek, but you know Trek with some. It'll still have. I, I'm sure it'll still have some teeth, but uh, more optimistic Trek. That's certainly what Beyond was. Definitely, um, and I think being on a streaming service, will be able to push that envelope a little bit more too. Right, and the fact that you know, I was, I knew they were going to do this, but the fact that they've come out and said that they're embracing the serialized format, very happy about that. Because it's only a short form series, so it's only like ten or thirteen episodes, isn't 13. it? Thirteen. 13 episodes they're contracted for, and yeah. that's good because, I mean, and it, it's serialized, which is good. 13 episodes is even better because it means little to no filler, which exactly. is a good thing. I prefer a short-run series of something like your Daredevils, your, your, for our Australian listeners, for your Wentworths. You because, think that that yeah, I mean, as a culture with these streaming shows and with these internet shows, we're get, I feel like we're getting less and less tolerant for episodes that are time fillers. Yeah. Which, to be fair, of your 26-episode run of a Star Trek series, you're going to get probably four or five of them that felt like that. A third of them that probably feel like that, yeah. Yeah, probably. Uh, so, less so with a 13-episode series. Yeah, and, and being, especially being serialized. And supposedly, I mean, I don't know how, how much truth there is to it, but supposedly the distribution of the series around the world has already turned a profit, so there may already be a second season. Oh, wow. It hasn't even dropped yet, because apparently international Netflix has picked it up. Yeah, but, you know, the deals that CBS has been cutting with worldwide distribution has already, according to a Hollywood Reporter article I think I read, has already turned a profit. So that's, and that's the big key when it comes to whether or not there's going to be another season of something. Mm -hmm. It's it's making a profit. Um, So I think we're going to get at least two seasons of this, which I'm, I'm all for. Yeah, I th- and yes, I'm excited because Trek movies every two years is great, but give us a new series. That's what we've all been saying for 10 years. Well, I mean, when you think about it, for the last 10 years, we've been reliving the 80s, where yeah. there's just a movie yeah. every couple of years. Absolutely. <laughs> so now it's time for, for a next generation comeback. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm hoping will get a resurgence, and who knows what we'll end up with, which can be a really good segue into potential pitches of new series. And how you would pitch one, and just some thoughts you would have if you could pitch a series. What, what oh, sort of boy. thoughts would you want? What, where would you? Yeah, just throw some stuff at the wall and see what we can come up with together, just for fun. Ah, uh, it is really difficult because, uh, you know, Brian Fuller and his team are taking on. I know they're going to do a good job, but they're oh, yeah. taking on with fan wise. They're taking on dangerous territory because the of the prequel thing. Um. And people get very, very uppity and pretentious and, and protective about what their canon because look at what look at all the scrutiny that Enterprise went through. Well, this is the problem you get, and this is what I was saying before about the Peggy Carter stuff. With a prequel, you can only do so much because you've still yeah. got that 
sort of knowing what's coming with it. And that's a lot of the problem the prequel trilogy of Star Wars had as well. You've got to meet certain bullet points down the way. I I think where the Star Wars prequel trilogy fell apart and where I think this can succeed is that when you do a prequel... It doesn't become about who, how you know that this is going to end or the way things are going to turn out. Is hey, you it's, it's more of a question of, is the ride to get there fun? Yeah. And if the ride to get there is interesting and fun, then it's a good prequel. But So I think that, that'll be accomplished. Yeah. But So like I was saying, the, the stuff that they're doing is very, very contentious. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to stick in the prime time, um, I would probably go after Nemesis. Yep. After everything we've seen. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know what I would do. I would try to avoid what some people have said that they wanted, but I just don't think is a concept that works. It's like a, I would try to avoid a next, next generation because it, it, in the sense that we, we skip forward another hundred years and we see the next enterprise. Yeah, basically. no, I don't think um, I would like to see that. I kind of feel like, like that's been done. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else I would do though. That's the, that's the problem is with the prime universe. I kind of feel like because there's been 600 plus hours of, of material in yeah. the prime timeline, it's yeah. very hard to say what we haven't seen yet. If I was pitching a show and I had the rights to it, mm-hmm. I would pitch one in the in the alternate timeline, the the, the, the Kelvin timeline. The like just the J, what they call the JJ verse. Well, yes, it's just been re, it's been recently rechristened the the Kelvin timeline. Right, but uh, I, I would I would if I was pitching a show just because I I, I am not as creative as Brian Fuller mm-hmm. and I need easy things to work with. Uh, being restricted to what's been portrayed in three movies is a lot more is a lot easier creatively than yeah. being restricted to six hundred hours of television yeah. and movies. I tell you what, so I would, I would go ahead, please. I tell you what, in, in the Kelvin universe, a spin-off series I would like to see, and I said it when Into Darkness came out. I'm going to say it again: Excelsior, starring John Cho. I would watch that for sure. I think John Cho has proven himself. Uh, to to not only be somewhat of a leading man, but I really like the way his Sulu has has kind of he, he's become one of the strongest characters, you know, uh, 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 kind of spirit wise of yeah. that of that of that reboot crew because he kind of started off in that first one being a little bit incompetent in his job. He's the, the replacement helmsman and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And by Inner Darkness, he's threatening Khan, and and by three, he's not being intimidated by Idris Elba. No, which. <laughs> We didn't even touch on him when we were talking about that. I think I think you could absolutely do it because, as you say, the rules are thrown out the window because you've got only the three movies worth of backup to do. And you know what else you could do? You could bring in a Janice Rand just for fun. Mm-hmm. And then you've got cast member names that you could do as nods from basically Star Trek Six, like Mr. Valtain, and you could probably recast Tuvok if you really wanted to. Yeah, you could. And uh, you could even bring in <laughs> – you can you – can, uh... Just for a laugh and as an in joke to Into Darkness, you could have the the Doctor be uh, Chapel and say what a relief it is to serve aboard this ship versus the Enterprise. Yeah, because supposedly, supposedly there was that joke in Into Darkness that yeah. she was a nurse on board the Enterprise, and then Kirk basically scared her off. Yeah, but yeah, no, I think you could do a lot of things, a lot of fun. You do it short form. You would do a serialized thirteen episode run with it. And right. Yeah, like you're right. You could absolutely, if you want to really go with it, have Christine Chapel turn up. You could have a, a real lot of fun with that. Or, I mean, by the same token, if you're going back to the Prime timeline, if they were going to do it, I would like to see it sort of real time. So basically, when did Nemesis come out? 15 years ago or something? 13 or 14 uh, years ago? 2002, so 14 years 14 ago. 14 years ago. So I would pick it up, jump back into the Prime universe 14, 15 years later. So right. if you wanted to have your recurring, like your guest spots from your old cast members, they'd, be, they'd mostly be age-appropriate. 
And if I, if I, that's the other thing is if I was going to do it at post nemesis, like 14 years later, I would incorporate the things that happened in the, in the Calvin timeline to the extent of there is no more Romulus. Yeah. There, there's, um, the Romulan empire's fractured. That might be an interesting story to pick up and you know see what? how they you pick up, how they pick up the pieces. Or have some mention of that in your pilot, that the actual um, moment of like the explosion of Romulus. Cause did they say, you know, nine, how long, like what year that happened in? Uh, I'm going to show my nerd card here. So, uh, so Nemesis, I know from reading material, takes place in 2379, mm-hmm. and Romulus is destroyed in 2387. So only uh, eight years post Nemesis, it gets destroyed. Oh, you could you could make that work, or you could yeah. do like a you could show that sort of as your, your opening of your episode, and then cut to eight years later and show the fallout, like you like they right. do in a lot of pilots. Go, here's the thing that set up our whole world. Follow the fallout of that. You can tie it into both worlds. I think that could work really well too. I think that could be fun. Now, um, I'm kind of copying something, but I think it would be cool if, if this was, if we were still focused on like darker Trek, mm-hmm. and if Agents of Shield wasn't a thing already. I kind of wouldn't mind Section seeing 31. a Star Trek Section Thirty One show. I, I was going to suggest that too, but then I went with our, our multiverse theory. I think you could do a real good job of that, as you say. But Agents of Shield's very much got that cornered. Yeah. Unfortunately, but I think that there's potential, and you could do that in either universe because I think that in in the prime line you could have interesting stuff, and I think if you do it in the Kelvin timeline, you could set it from the fallout of some of their exposure after the Into Darkness incident. Yeah, that could that could be really interesting. How would you do it? Would you have like a cast of only like four or five, or one agent, or how would how do you think that would work? <laughs> I, I hate to use it as a model, but I think it would be like Shield, where there's yep. a unit. Yep, there's a director, like a, a team leader, and then almost a mission impossible. He sort of hears you, this person that fills this role, and so on and so forth. You just right. it Shield style, and we get, and it would be, you know, it would be a, it would be a, as like DS9. It would be a morally questionable series because our, we're asked to be, we're asked to follow and and think of as heroes or anti-heroes. These people that do that are sanctioned to do questionable things. Yeah, doing doing wrong things for the right reason or whatever. But like I said, the reason that I maybe wouldn't pitch that right now is because like I said, I think the focus on lighter track is the correct one. Yeah. Which is absolutely the way to go. I mean, maybe you could then again, if, if this, if this was now, if I was pitching this, I, I would pitch that show back in 2000 when they were looking for the, for, the next show yeah. after Voyager. Yeah. Imagine if we'd have gotten, if we hadn't gotten enterprise, we'd have gotten something that was, I don't want to say better, like, but, but better, better well received. I think the landscape of current Trek would be very different. Yeah, it is very different. Other than that, I'm not sure where you pick up because you can't really continue anything from the Berman era only because or if you do, you can't use any of the actors because they're way older now. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and people, that's why I was never for. Except for Patrick Stewart. He looks the same as he did in Farpoint. Granted. But that's why I was, you know, personally, as much as I love the guy, I was never for the Wharf series because I kind of feel like he, he there's nothing more, if you think about it, there's nothing more that I can learn about him that I haven't learned in 11 seasons and four movies. Yeah, there's not much left for that character to do. So, I mean, that if they if they ever did that show, it would have to be about the other characters. Well, that's how, <laughs> that's how you would do a Star Trek series that has a lead that's not the captain. Right. Um, but... You know, ex- you know, except for Patrick Stewart, yeah. the, the characters are a lot older now. And mm-hmm. Unless you you categorize it by doing the fourteen years later thing, yeah. you're not going to believe it. And some of them, 
I hate to say it, but some of them are no longer in Starfleet shape. Some of them haven't aged <laughs> gracefully as we thought we might. Yeah, Jerry Ryan could still do it. She could do it. Um, I reckon you could probably trot out a Chase Masterson. Chase Masterson, and I will say, having just seen them at the convention, uh, Terry and Anak could still do it, but Terry's dead, so. Yeah. Did you did you catch up with her at this con? Oh, always. I thought you might always. have. How's she going? She's doing well, and uh, well, I, 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 I kind of have you guys to thank for that, because you made the initial, through the grapevine introduction, yeah. way back in the day, but ever since 2013, I've seen her every year, and she's always recognized me. Oh, that's so. good. So, yeah, that's... It's amazing. I got to speak to Katie Sackhoff this weekend. That's so cool. Really? Yeah. She was at Oz Comic Con. She was the only person I paid for a photo and an autograph with. And I can give, I can tell you for 100% categorically, there was never any reality to the rumors of her playing Captain Marvel. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would have liked her as Captain Marvel, but I kind of feel like, again, she may be, they, they, that's, that's kind of a long-term role. And isn't she like, isn't she late thirties by now? Yeah. And that's what she said. Because I said to her, I said, look, was there any reality to it or was it just speculation? She's like, speculation. And she's like, and I've had meetings with Marvel and I would have loved to have done it. But realistically, they were never going to look at anyone over the age of 30 for exactly that reason that you say. It's more of a long-term ongoing. Yeah. And, you know, you can question the morality of that. But from a business standpoint, Marvel is thinking about the long game. So they want to use these actors for as long as they yeah. they can. That's, I mean, for Christ's sake, that's why they cast Tom Holland, other than the fact that he was really frigging good. Yeah. But, you know, he's 20 years old, so they can use him for years. Yeah, absolutely. They can they can conceivably get two decades worth of Spider-Man out of him. Yeah, for sure. Theoretically. Uh, so um, that's awesome. I love these off. She's she's a lot shorter than I thought she'd be. Really? I really thought she'd be taller. She's always photographed taller, especially in Battlestar. They always shoot her from like the waist up, so she looks like an Amazon. Well, that's right. Well, I thought she was, and I'm five foot nine, and she's shorter than I am. Really? Yeah, only by about an inch or so, but yeah, she's only about five foot eight. Then that was like excellent camera work. Then, yeah, I really believe I, I really believe she was five eleven or six foot. That's what I thought. And then I've come around the corner into the little photo booth, and there was a group having photos taken with her, and I'm like. Where's Katie? And then I heard the laugh, that that Katie Sackhoff laugh that everyone knows. And I'm like, that's her there. She's tiny. Right. I guess I'm going to have to go back and look at Battlestar now because, like, I'm trying to picture – you know what? It may be given away only because she, she, she shares a lot of scenes with uh, Jamie Bamber, who I know is not that tall. Yeah, he's, I met him a few years ago at Supernova, and he's not overly tall either. But she's lovely, absolutely lovely. But she's she's a good she's a good egg, huh? Yeah. So before we wrap it up, what are some of the highlights from Las Vegas Fifty other than catching up with Terry? Uh, catching up with Terry, uh, seeing Whoopi. Oh, that was yeah, amazing. her first con. Her first con. She she. I mean, here's the thing: as I, I love seeing the you know seeing the actors is very fun, but you can tell that some of them like acting when it's just for a camera and they, you know, they're not as comfortable. You can tell when people are not as comfortable working a room as they are acting in front of a camera. Yeah. I've, I've actually interviewed a couple of people that are like that. For, I'm not going to, I'm not going to name them on the show, but we'll talk about it later. But, uh, with Whoopi, not only is she an actress, but because she's a TV host and a stand-up comedian, so she's used to working acting, a room. Yeah. So you could tell she so she was, a, she was an entertainer and she was great. So, so does she just have a single panel, or what? What does she do? She had a single panel where, um, do you know, you know, the guy from uh, he 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 hosts the, the the one of the entertainment shows here, Access Hollywood. This Scott Mans guy, huge Star Trek nerd. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he, So he was the host for that panel, 
so he was interviewing her and she was talking about her experiences, which were lovely. And then, you know, when, when she was answering fan questions, I thought she did so very tactfully and very, you know, she almost kind of was Guyanan because she yep. was, she was, she was very wise with the things that she yep. said. And, you know, when people asked her about specific episodes, what, what I, what I liked, what she said and what I've always thought about these actors is that she's like, I don't remember episode names. I remember moments. Yeah. So if you don't, don't tell me the episode name, tell me what I was doing in that episode yeah. and then I'll remember. Cause someone else is, someone else is really famous for saying that too. I want to say Jerry. Jerry Ryan says something yeah. similar. Which, you know, I've always I've always kind of rolled my eyes a bit at the people who asked, in this such and such episode, what were you thinking at this point? And it's just like, you, you, uh, I wish people would understand that these people were, you know, it, it was a job. And yeah. they, had to mem- they had to memorize a thousand scripts a week. But they probably didn't know? even know the, the episode names. Right. Or paid little attention to it. Just like, what am I doing this week? Right. And, you know, they're up at five in the morning. They're sleep deprived. It's just yep. a... It's, it's just a struggle to get through the day, yeah. let alone remember the details about the episode. <laughs> so um, I thought that was very wise, and she was fantastic. Really, the highlight for me at Vegas was just being with the people. I, I, I met, I started meeting some. I met a couple people this year that I had never gotten the pleasure to meet before in mm-hmm. person, but have been speaking to them on on the internet for years. And yep. that's the reason that I keep going back. Yeah, is is because. The hanging out with everybody is so much fun. And I'll get there one there, year, I promise. And, and when you're there and you almost go into this other world where like I was with my friends constantly and we were just throwing these references left and right mm-hmm. and no one was questioning it because everybody knew what we were talking about. And it was, you know, it, it's fun and it's sad because, you know, when it's sad when, when the con's over and I was like, I have to actively de-reference the way I speak now. Absolutely. Because no one else is going to get it. Uh, I have to go back to the real world. But mm-hmm. for that, for, for those five days, you're in this like fantasy. Yeah. Uh, you're with uh, your people. Paradise. Yep. I had, a, I had an example uh, of that yesterday when I was at Oz Comic Con. There was a TTL or something that was referencing the Red Wedding for Game of Thrones. Now, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I understand what the Red Wedding, the red wedding was. It says, I went to a wedding yeah. and all I got was this bloody TTL. And I pointed at it and I shouted, I understood that reference, which was. <laughs> the Captain America reference from the Avengers and a guy yes. standing with his back to me absolutely cracked up and turned around and looked at me like and you understood my reference and he's like yes <laughs> I did and that's the sort of little moment you're talking about yeah exactly we, it's like this shorthand that we, we talk in shorthand yeah um, and uh, there is now with the, with the understanding that I have never participated in any illicit drugs, there is no greater high than than the than the high that I get when I'm with my when I'm with my people mm-hmm. at, at the convention. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can relate to that feeling one hundred percent. It's yeah. um, so you know what my 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 Star Trek fiftieth anniversary year has put a pretty damn good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a good movie. I got a good con. I surrounded myself with good people. Oh, and I didn't tell you this, but uh, I should mention it because I know you get a kick out of it. Yeah. One of the, one of the um, one of the bars here did a Star Trek trivia night where uh, people could go and they were asked questions and people could participate in teams and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I went by myself, solo team one. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's cool. That's that's impressive. What did you win? And, uh, uh, I got to pick, and I picked uh, Star Trek uh, themed shot glasses. Oh, very nice! That, that uh, is impressive. So that was cool. And then just uh, last week, when the, when the 50th anniversary actually happened uh, on the eighth, mm-hmm. uh, the same bar was doing a Star Trek just all day viewing party where they were serving uh, 
50th anniversary ale and these commemorative glasses and they were just showing episodes and movies all day and all night so i i went there and hung out with friends three hours i what what was playing we saw deja q we saw a mock time we saw they played the cage which i was quite impressed with that doesn't get a little play uh but i thought it was so fitting because even though we're, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary and that came two years before that's right if we're, start, if we're celebrating the beginning of star trek that is where star trek technically began well, oh, apparently oh speaking of the cage um i just rem- i've read or heard somewhere that um the female lead in what's it called is going to be called discovery discovery is it, she's going to be called number one but she may not be that number yeah one. that's right it's just another point that i remember that i'd Completely forgotten. So uh, but be yes, that'll be cool. But so we saw the cage, and then I think I, we I left after yesterday's Enterprise. I thought that was a good ending point. That's a really good ending point. And you know what they could have done with that episode? They could have, if they were so inclined, if all of the pieces, they could have somehow found a way to keep Denise Crosby on the show. They could have, but but you know, back in the day, that wasn't. They didn't do the serialized thing. I think if they were doing that now, they would have. Yeah. For her to leave at the end of season one and find a way to bring her back in season three for that, I think that that could have been done. But I was a big fan of Tasha Yar for no discernible reason. I was too. I, I never got the got the hate. I, I I thought she was great, and I thought that I thought that she would have been given more interesting material had she been given some of that third season writing. The, well, pre- the reason that people never remi- remember her fondly is because she got written by the first season writers. Well, so. Look at the first season, and I tell you what: if a show of that caliber came along now, it wouldn't get past code of, it wouldn't get past Code of Honor. No, it, it may not even get past Naked now. Well, no, this is true. To be fair, Farpoint even, wouldn't Farpoint wouldn't get picked up for series. Let's be honest. I probably not. Even though I'll, I'll say Naked now is a total guilty pleasure. Oh, it's so much fun, but it just comes at the wrong time. Sure, but uh, uh, so long story short, I've had a great fiftieth uh, anniversary year. That's good. I've done precious little to do with Star Trek with my anniversary, except for the fact that I say the word Esri far too frequently. Well, yes. Given that I that's mean, my daughter's always, name. There's always a little bit of Star Trek in your life because that's of right. that. Actually, fun point. We were, I was watching a season seven episode during my rewatch when the kids were here last weekend, and they hadn't seen it before for whatever reason. It just hasn't crossed their, their little radars. And one of the characters said something about Esri, and she didn't hear it, but Liam, my son, heard it. He's like, Dad. The TV said Esri's name. And I'm like, that said Esri. And I'm like, yeah, that's where your sister's name comes from, buddy. He's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. And because I've got the signed 8x10 from Nicole that I've got for Esri on the wall. And I'm like, Liam, go and have a look at that photo. He's like, what? Oh, that's cool. Where's my name from? I'm like, your name's just a name, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> when you're older, just tell him you, you, you named him after Liam Neeson. Well, that's right. Because that's, that's what I'm thinking. Because that way he's... Liam Neeson. We don't have to rattle off all these cred. And Rachel. Liam Neeson's a badass. So. Yeah, that's right. I, I, it's so funny because I see. I, I mean, we're still friends on Facebook, so even yeah. though we haven't talked, I've seen what you're up to from time to time, and uh, it, it's so funny to me that hearing you talk about your kids because I remember way back in the day when we were doing this more frequently. Ezra was just a baby, and yeah. you know, Liam Liam wasn't that much older, and time flies so fast. Yeah. Well, the wilderness on a regular schedule was four years ago. Yeah. Yeah, time just gets away. Because when I was on I mean, when I was on Trekmate talking to Jude and Wayne, Jude was talking about back in 2012 on this wilderness episode. I'm like, wow, that was four years. 
And I, I, had, I, I knew it was a while ago, but I didn't really. It's, yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. You know, I kind of relate to to a lesser extent what Whoopi Goldberg was talking about because now I've been doing this podcasting thing since 2011. Yeah. So um, people say back in this Delta Quadrant episode, you said this, this, and that, and I was like, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, well, that's, I, that's I, the same thing I, I, can barely, I can barely remember what I said to someone last week. That's the same thing I was getting from Jude. He's like, oh, in this Wilderness episode, I'm like, all right, we did 65 of them, and it's 120-something hours of me and Fez talking shit, so probably. But, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm so happy to be doing this and talking to you again. This was great. Thanks for having me well, That's on. right. Thank you for, for coming on board at literally the last note. So what is it now? Just after 1 a.m. there? Uh, no, 12.30. Oh, okay, cool. So you've, yeah, I thought it was going to be later than that. Um, so yeah, no. we might we might call it because I'm going to have some edits to do. So basically the new format of whatever show, what we're going to do, we're going to do these sort of pocket episodes where we just cover a topic, do like three or four of them. Then we're going to have, we watch a movie, we might do some D&D playing. Just, you know, throw shit, show, throw some shit at the wall and see what sticks. That's kind of what we do at, when I, at the new network that I did, New Party. We just talk about a different uh, topic each week, whether it be a movie or a general theme. We've yep. talked about, uh, you know, fan overreaction to certain changes in 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 uh, in, uh, in popular culture. Yep. You know, we, we we pick a theme each week and we talk about it. That's kind of the, the sounds, aim of the, this new show. It sounds a lot like what we do. Yeah, I mean, because I, I wanted the reason I started that one with. Um, Tristan Riddell, who goes, uh, his his handle is at the Insane Robin on on Twitter. Oh, I know that guy. Uh, uh, he he's a Trek FM host, great guy. I finally met him this year at Vegas. He's just fantastic, like one of my closest friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we started that podcast because we both hosted Trek podcasts, but we wanted to talk about other nerdy things that weren't necessarily Star Trek. Yep, no, that's fair so, enough. So, um, <laughs> hence me doing Nerd Corner. Yep. Uh, so. Um, Definitely check that out if 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 you if your listeners are so inclined. They must be because they're listening to this podcast. Well, that's right. So, so where can they where can they find you guys? Uh, the, if you just search uh, the Nerd Party on Google, you'll be able to find us. And my show, the show that I do on the network, is called The Senate Floor. Oh, nice. We, we, call, we called ourselves the Nerd Party because we were you know we're trying to yep. be a little political yep. in the Senate Floor, and uh, but we have all kinds of great shows on the network. You know, there's there's my show, Senate Floor. There's uh, Tristan does uh, a nerd kind of like a Senate floor, but with his wife. Okay. Um, called Nerd Nuptial, which is really uh, a fun show. We have our own Star Wars show called Aggressive Negotiations. Oh, I like it. Um, it you know, and we're growing and growing, and it's it's so much fun. So uh, if you search any of those themes that I mentioned on iTunes, you'll be able to find one of our shows. Well, that's cool. Um, we're actually doing we're doing we've got a West Wing episode scheduled in a few weeks' time, and we're going to pitch an Australian version of it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So nice. that'll be. I'll be, that, that sounds cool. That'll be fun. And of course, I'm still on track, mate. Yep. At uh, doing Upper Pylon Two, which releases every Thursday. We do. It's if if any of your listeners heard me on the Delta Quadrant, it's basically a DS9 review show where we do one episode a week and we break down the episode and talk about it and lots and lots of fun. DS9, there's more to dissect, so I've, I've yeah. had more fun. But it, it's great fun. And uh, if you want to reach me personally, I can be reached on Twitter at mhansen0207 h a n s e n. Beautiful, and as always, you can find me at jdizzle1701, nerdcornerau on Twitter, nerdcornerau at Gmail. We're likely to follow me to here in Nerd Corner. So, yeah. I think we're done. I think we're done. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope it's not another two years before we talk. No, it shouldn't. We'll bring you back on at some point when we can. Bye. Space, a final frontier.
Well, life as a geek is kind of laid back. Ain't nothing like an OS that I can't hack. I actually know the difference between PC and Mac. Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy. Well, every time it's on, I can't help myself. I set the DVR even though they're on my shelf. I've seen them all many times. They're good for my health. Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy. Well, I got me a phaser. Got me a triple when Kirk's on the tube. I just have to giggle. Life ain't nothing but a space opera riddle. Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy. Well, the vote's still out for Picard or Kirk. They both have their strong points. It all kind of work. One likes to talk and the other's just a jerk. Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy. Well, the Enterprise-D looks like a lot of fun. The classic is old, 1701. Both have torpedoes and a phaser gun. Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy. Well, I got me a phaser, got me a triple, and Kirk's on the tube. I just have to giggle. Life ain't nothing but a space opera riddle. Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy. Mr. Data, warp speed, please. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Chocolate is a serious thing. Greed is the purest, most noble of emotions. Make it so. Well, there's TOS, TNG, DS9, and Voyager, you see. Enterprise and the cartoon series. Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy. Too bold to go where no one's gone before. Going on adventures, strange new worlds, and more. I love every hour I'm a trekking to the core. Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy. Well, I got me a phaser, got me a triple, and Kirk's on the tube. I just have to giggle. Life ain't nothing but a space opera riddle. Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy. Beam me aboard. Energize. Energize. Yeah, the movies are good, the evil one's the best I watch them all, cause I like the rest Every single one puts the crew to the test Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy Now I'm spending all my money on merchandise I bought another collectible against my wife's advice But seriously, to me, it's worth the price Thank God I'm a Star Trek boy I got me a phaser, got me a triple When Kirk's on the tube, I just have to giggle Life ain't nothing but a space opera riddle I'm a Star Trek boy. Interface complete. Beat me up, Scotty. I can't get no power, Captain. Current transporter room, report. Ahead. Warp factor four. <laughs> 